Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio. Today, Pushcart winning author Nancy McCabe is joining us to talk about her new young adult novel. It's called Vaulting Through Time, and you can go to her website, Nancy McCabe. Dot net and it is out now uh, released July 25th 2023 so welcome to the show Nancy how are you good thank you so much for having me hey it's great to have you now did I get your last name correct as pronunciation oh uh-huh. wow yeah because I mess up everything town <laughs> names people's names and then they tell me and then I mess it up right after I learned it you know so <laughs> it's good to have you here um this is exciting you've been doing quite a bit of writing so you do fiction and nonfiction, right I do. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did most of my education in fiction. I did an MFA in fiction. I did a PhD with a creative dissertation. And then I kind of switched over for many years to writing creative nonfiction. So I've been coming back to fiction gradually here. That's cool. Yeah. And and you teach, don't you? In, I do. You speaking. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. I, I direct the writing program at a branch of the University of Pittsburgh and I work, I mentor as part of the Spalding Low Residency MFA program. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And so going into writing young adult, um, that is something that is a little bit different than writing for adults, right? It's, um, you got to get it right. (laughs) Otherwise it's like, all right, you're out. (laughs) Yeah, a a little bit. Um, you know, I actually started out trying to write a middle grade novel, um, many years ago when my daughter was the age that she was reading a lot of those. And, and I realized how different it is writing for a younger audience. Um, and I worked with a lot of different, I took workshops and worked with editors and they're like, you know, voice is so important. And so it took me many years to get that manuscript. Like, I, I feel oh. like it's actually coming out too in, in a couple of years. And, and I feel like I finally got that right. But then I felt much more prepared to try writing a young adult novel where I don't think that, you know, it's, it's that different, except that the characters are younger and you're dealing more with with themes that relate to things like identity and independence, mm. you know, those, those tend to dominate in young adult fiction. But in many ways, I think that it's very similar to writing, writing other kinds of fiction. And it's coming of age and understanding what, what youth are going through, you know, right. young adult time, that, that um, teenage years, it's so messy. Wow. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah, <laughs> It's messy. It's stressful. And then on one side, you're like, I know everything. And then you really don't, you know, and deep down, you know it, but the, you know what I mean? We go through all of that. For sure. And watching my daughter go through adolescence certainly brought back my own messiness. And, and, you know, like those years where everything just feels so intense and difficult. And Mm. it's such a relief when you kind of get through it and you become an adult and you realize that you can handle things and that, you know. Yeah. Hopefully. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, but your daughter seems to be an inspiration for a lot of your writing. She has been. Yeah. Um, so she, um, I wrote a couple books about adoption when she was young because she's adopted from China. And so I wrote a memoir about adopting her. And then I wrote another book about returning to China, um, to learn more about her origins and just the whole idea of homeland visits, which were, I don't know if they still are, but we're very popular when she was young to go back and try to reconnect to, to the child's roots. Um, 
So, so I did a lot of nonfiction writing related to her and I was kind of worried about it because the second book came out when she was 13 and that's like not the age that you want your mom to be writing a book about you. But she was always very gracious and very enthusiastic and, um, and still is, but you know, I would, I, I, anything I've written about her, I, I make sure that she reads or I read to her every word and I get her input and I make sure mm-hmm. I'm not exposing her or saying anything that, you know, she objects to. So, um, but she's, she's surprisingly, you know, generous about letting me write what I write. Um, cool. Once did she ever veto a piece of, of writing, but, but then definitely the character, the main character in Vaulting Through Time is based on her a little bit on me when I was that age too, but very much sure. based on her. She was a gymnast and she definitely had a lot of questions about identity and her place in the world. And so all of that is also true of this particular character, Elizabeth. I love this because Elizabeth now she's got her friend, Zach, right? Yeah. Um, so that, 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 that's a, that's a little, yeah, that's that messiness. I talk about it, a young adult, you know, it's like, okay, are you my friend? Are you not, right. you know, all that, you know, so they've got that um, going on, but at the same time, you know, she's a gymnast and she's coming in, coming of age, right? Your body's changing. And so I, that made me kind of really think about that as, as a sports person, especially a gymnast, because you, you have to be so like a dancer. You have to be so live. Your, your weight has to do with things about how you manage, you know, to do vaults and, and things like that. Um, so that's, that's an interesting, you know, part of the story, but, she does get into a time machine, which, and as soon as I saw a time machine, I'm like, oh, we got to have her on the show. We want to know. <laughs> so I love that you have like the real, the reality of what, you know, adolescents are going through. But at the same time, you add this, this, a time machine in there. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really a realistic story with the magical elements. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So do you want to give everyone a, a little overview of the story so that I don't um, tell the story? <laughs> tell everybody everything. Yeah, so the main character is Elizabeth, and she is facing, um, you know, issues that all gymnasts face, especially gymnasts of, of all the different kinds of sports and, and movement activities. Gymnasts do better when they're younger and smaller. And so she's facing those changes in her body and she really is terrified to throw herself over the vault. She doesn't want to do blind backward tumbling. You know, she's her gymnastics career is coming to an end, like happens with many, many kids. And so um, she thinks that that's her biggest problem. And the fact that she kind of has this crush on her ex-best friend and she doesn't know what to do with that. And then she discovers that actually there are much bigger issues that she is very close to her mom, but there is stuff that her mother has withheld from her about her origins. And so she then, she and Zach discovered that a watch that they found in an abandoned house many years before is actually a time machine. And that she could go back to the past to figure out the answers to these questions that her mother isn't answering. And so as a little experiment, they send her back to the week that the woman from the abandoned house disappeared. And she discovers this mysterious abandoned child and doesn't, and doesn't quite know what's going on there. She tries to return home and the watch malfunctions and she finds herself in 
1988. She meets an elite gymnast who also seems to have some piece of the puzzle. Um, she ends up traveling again to the 1920s where she meets another mysterious person. So she meets these three people that, that seem to hold some, some key to, to her background. And just when she's kind of beginning to figure it out, a thief steals an identical time machine. And so she basically has to chase the, the thief through time and, and, and the watch is set for many great moments in gymnastics history. So she finds herself at these, these moments, you know, these Olympics, these trying to figure out why this woman has stolen the watch and how she's going to stop her. And so much of the second half of the book is that, that journey to try to stop the thief and discover what piece that person has in her own background and origins. And so um, ultimately, you know, it is a journey of, of growth and, and, you know, learning to, value connections to family mm-hmm. family ties um to discovering her identity um so so she does solve the mystery but it's um it's a complicated process and before she can fix the situation and solve the mystery she finds that she has to go to the 1988 olympic trials and she has to stand in for another gymnast and she has to do a vault She's not an elite vaulter and she has to do, and you know, she's terrified to vault. She's, she's had to do it to, to get through time. She wears the watch and she vaults and she's always afraid she won't be able to do it. Um, and so here she is at Olympic trials and among all wow. the amazing gymnasts and she's got to perform a vault. And so, you know, that sounds like a crazy dream. <laughs> yeah. You know, those dreams, you it know what does. I mean? It does. Yeah. It's like one of those dreams where you have like all of a sudden it, it's like, you know, when you're having to face your fears, those dreams, right. Exactly. you know, we have those and where, you know, it's like you have to hug the monster. Yeah. And, and she mm-hmm. does often feel in her travels through time that it's sort of like those dreams where you appear in public in your nightgown or your underwear. Yeah. yeah. Because, and know. then all of a sudden you're able to like, you know, walk across water, jump, fly, right. all these yeah. things. Fly. <laughs> yeah. Vault. You know, that that's awesome though. But I love that you're going through a time machine because it adds in this element of history. So it must have been fun to do some of the research on this and then also add that in in a way for those who are reading for, you know, to kind of connect to history in a way and then to also learn about you know what a good mystery is and to problem solve yeah yeah I mean it is kind of a hybrid of genres because it it is a mystery and it is historical and it is contemporary I mean it, it kind of melds all those things but yeah the research was a lot of fun because I had to do research about a lot of it takes place in my own town of Bradford Pennsylvania in okay, cool. various time periods. So I had to do research about, um, you know, what this place was like in these different times. I did a lot of research about gymnastics and about Olympics history. Um, yeah, all of that was really fun. And just picking out moments that she would end up at and that would somehow impact her to witness them. That's, you know, super cool. I think time machines, it just opens up the door to creativity. Do you think that they actually exist? Like seriously, because there um, is that vibe that I feel that there's got, I, I always believe that I just don't, I think we shouldn't limit ourselves. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, 
it's a wonderful fictional device because it just opens it opens up the story to so many possibilities. It's such a flexible device. I'm I'm really passionate about time travel fiction. I actually teach a class in it. Um, oh wow! And there's a physicist named Ronald Mallet who write wrote a nonfiction book um, about I think it's called The Time Traveler, but it's about trying to invent a time machine so that he can go back and and um, meet the father that he never really knew, and and so. It's been a long time since I read the book, but it's a really fascinating book that, that you know, kind of illuminates some things about the theories around time travel. Um, so I, I don't think he ever succeeded in his quest, but who knows, right? I mean, and of, course, knows? of course, we're all time travelers because we're all moving forward into the future. So, yeah. you know, and being a reader is like being a time traveler because... That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I, we actually did radio plays that were time travel radio plays. Ah. And so, and and they're not... They're, they're completely um, hokey and hysterical <laughs> because they're so hokey. But what we would do is we would take um, all the famous people that were born on that week or something. Like we had Lizzie Borden. We had um, Mae West meeting Amelia Earhart. And, I mean, all kinds. And so we were doing this where it was all audio. This is pre-Zoom time. And no one could see each other. And we would write the script according to actual quotes that these people said. So you would make the story. It, it it was like these conversations and some people would have like, you try and do a Julia Child accent, you know, that didn't always work, but some did it well. You know, so we'd have, we'd all do our own accents and um, it would, we would travel up this time machine and meet all these people. It was kind of a trip. Yeah. You know, a trip. Yeah. One of the really fun. Yeah. Things, literally. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. One of the really fun things about time travel is that you can recreate historical moments and figures, but if you were just writing something that was purely historical, you wouldn't be able to shed a contemporary lens on it. And what I really love is that you That's can a good come point. at it with a contemporary perspective and you can make commentary on the differences between, say, women's roles then and now or, um, oh. <laughs> you know, or customs then and now or or. Even in women in sports, right? Because right. that's another exactly. thing. Women, women in gymnasts, uh, you know, that's a whole other deal too. Um, yes. I mean, look back in, if you're thinking in the eighties, how many women soccer players were there? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so. Well, and, and gymnastics is really fascinating because the, the, the ideal body type has changed over time. What we consider to be the ideal body type for gymnastics and, you know, one thing that that um, inspired me was that when my daughter was doing gymnastics, she and her friends would watch these videos of women in the 20s and 30s and 40s doing gymnastics and going, well, we wow. can do that because because the skills were um, I mean, I, I'm sure that they it was deceptive that these people were much more skilled than than the girls wanted to assume. But but they were doing some really basic skills that that most beginning gymnasts can do. And they were allowed to have real bodies. They had women's bodies. They had they had breasts. They had hips. Oh wow! And and you just don't see that in the same way anymore. Although you've seen this change to like the waif like gymnast, and now it's kind of the powerhouse body, the really muscular, athletic body, which which I think is probably an improvement from the um, you know the waif, the person who was just supposed to starve herself. Wow, that's yeah. And I wonder if it's different. Is it the same for men? No, no. Of course not. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't even know. I haven't really done any kind of research on that. But I'm not even sure that the body type has changed substantially for for men. Maybe it's more muscular now than it used to be for male gymnasts. Mm. But it's not. It's not as visible. It's not as you know. I mean, men's gymnastics didn't have the change 
it didn't have to change the rules, but women's gymnastics did at one point, the Olympics, you know, the rule is now that they have to be, they have to turn like 16. I think the age, I may be getting this wrong, but, but the year that they're competing, I think it's that they have to turn 16 because we were having younger and younger and younger gymnasts because, you know, these little light bodies just were able to do more. But now you look at people like Simone Biles, who it has is, is very strong and muscular and and powerful. Mm. And, and so I think it's a really positive change. It's interesting too, because it goes through with dancers and mm-hmm. and you know, it's um but gymnastics is really hard on your body. Oh yeah, oh it is very much so. I mean, I don't know if I would if I had to do it over, I'm not sure if I would encourage my daughter to get into it. And she you know, on her, I think it was her 18th birthday, she had some friends over for a little birthday party. And some of them were former gymnasts. And they all said, we wouldn't do it again. You know, we're 18 years old, and we have back problems. We have, you know, joint problems. So so it is even even at at that age, that's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, because you know, when they land, it's you can, it's so hard. Like my, uh, my uncle, He's, he's passed now, but he, um, was a, was a state champion, um, for California gymnast mm-hmm. and surfer. And so it kind of goes hand in hand with how, you, but he ended up being a gymnast. Uh, a, he made gymnastic gear, like the equipment and the bars and all of that did all the padding for it because I think it was part of it was how the wrong gear can hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that certainly the equipment has changed substantially too to protect you know the gymnasts but it's still do you think people reading this the the young adults reading this are going to understand what you know if you're not in sports gives you an eye of the competitiveness and the mindset of what it takes to be in a sport because gymnasts you're going to have friends and teams but it's not like um soccer or football where you have a team working together in a way unless you're doing like a group event you know what i mean it's kind of solo in a way yeah, yeah. And that was definitely something that I wanted to bring out um, that, you know, they the teams, their scores are added up. So so the team is always competing in, in say, your typical YMG, YMCA gymnastics meet. Um, but your individual scores are also really important. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, and and one thing that Elizabeth is discovering even more so as she gets older, as she gets into the age where girls tend to be a bit more catty and, and, you know, play games with each other. Um, you know, she's discovering that all these people that have always been her friends, because if you're a gymnast, you're in the gym all the time. So your friends are other gymnasts. It's an odd situation because they're the people you compete with, but they're also your best friends. And she's Mm. discovering those undercurrents of rivalry are becoming more and more problematic as she mm. you know, enters high school and is trying to navigate the social world. Mm. I know, man, it, that's such a rough time. It really is. Mm-hmm. I, and then let's all, you know, now you need to look towards going to college. And it's, I think it's getting harder and harder for the younger generation. I think about what it was like when I was in high school and I don't think we were as stressed as now, you know? Oh no. I mean, I, since I teach, um, I teach college and some of mm-hmm. my students are, well, I mean, they're 18 to 22 years old and, and they are very stressed. And oh. I, I definitely think the pandemic increased that a lot too. They were sure. already very stressed and now, you know, there are more issues with, with just mental illness and 
learning issues, knowing how to be a student. You know, a lot of people lost a year of that and it's mm. really doing. So, so, but yeah, I'm, I, I feel like we are seeing substantial stress among young people in particular. What do you, what do you think since you teach writing that writing can help with that? And, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm a big advocate for that idea. Um, in fact, I teach workshops sometimes in writing and healing because there have been studies that show that writing about, like, it's not just writing about traumatic events, but writing about just whatever problems you're facing and, mm-hmm. you know, proposing solutions on the page or even like keeping a gratitude journal and writing about the things that um, you're grateful for can really substantially affect your mental health and your outlook. And, and, you know, there've been studies that show that um, college students who just Mm -hmm. wrote for 10 minutes on a daily basis had fewer visits to the student health centers, had fewer health complaints in general, you know, just better. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that, I think writing is an amazing tool for, um, for just coping, for coming to terms with, with issues. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and reading too. I mean, it's an escape. Oh. And so like writing young adult, it's like, you have to have that balance of not being, um, you know, learn your morals. <laughs> you know, this is, it shouldn't be like, it, it should be something entertaining that you, you learn from without teaching a lesson, but you are, you're, you're sneaking it in there, right? It's like, if you could eat a delicious cake and it's got your medicine in there and it worked, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, I, I think ultimately, I, I agree with you that reading is very transformative and that we learn values from reading, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when you're writing for young adults, you want to be very careful to just represent real life as best you can, as opposed to you don't want to preach, right? You don't want to. That's exactly it, yeah. And so, so you know, it's just what, the, the character discovers through her journey, you know, you don't want the adults coming in and saying, now here's what you've learned. You know, you want her to, you want it all to emerge from, from that character. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, it, it can it's be- a powerful tool. It really is, yeah. you know, and, and it's entertaining. It maybe releases some stress too. I think reading does. Yeah. Yeah. It gives mm-hmm. you perspective on your own experience because even if you're not a time traveling gymnast, you, you, oh, you've all struggled with our identities. We've all struggled with um, mm-hmm. finding our place in the world. And, and so I think that the, the conflicts that characters deal with always in some way tap into our own. What got you started in writing? Writing. Um, yeah. Reading? <laughs> reading. Yes, for sure. Um, I remember writing my, uh, what I think was my very first story. I was probably seven or eight years old and my dad would, we'd go to the public library and I'd bring home stacks of books. And the first thing my dad had us do was write a list of the books that we checked out. Cause he wanted to be sure that when it was time to take them back, that we could, you know, we had everything. And so I was sitting there writing this list of books and I just suddenly was seized by inspiration. I turned over the piece of paper and I started writing a story. I think I'd just been reading some British children's books. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So my, my story was, you know, very British inspired. <laughs> um, oh, cool. language and, and, and so that's the first time I remember just like being so excited and just taking off. But I always wrote, I wrote throughout my childhood. I wrote stories. I wrote poetry. Um, and 
And, you know, I was just overjoyed when I discovered that you could actually go to college and major in writing. I was, you know, yeah. 16 when I discovered this. I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. So, yeah, yeah it's just back in the day. It used to be if you're a woman going to college, you're only going to go be a nurse. Yeah. You know? I thought I was going to be a teacher. I thought, you know, my mom was a teacher. So I thought, oh, yeah. Do. And one day I said, wait a minute, I don't have to be a teacher. I could, I could be a writer, yeah. but. But I always thought I'd probably end up teaching to support myself. Well, you're doing both, right? And that's what I'm doing. That's <laughs> magical. Well, I think you learn by teaching. Yeah. You're seeing how brains are reacting to information. Oh, and absolutely. how to transfer the information over more effectively. I, I don't even know if I would have tried to write this novel if it hadn't been for the many students that I've worked with over the years who are interested in speculative fiction. And, you know, so I've read a lot of their efforts and they've referred me to books and, you know, oh, that's books cool. and, and so, yeah, I mean, there is like this really wonderful thing that happens with teaching where you constantly are also stimulated and, you know, getting that's, inspiration and ideas. That's cool. So are you going to do another young adult book? Um, so I have a sequel to this book that is Ooh. sort of just in note form right now. I haven't really done any writing on it, but but yeah, I have some pretty solid ideas for that. Cool. Um, yeah. And and who knows what else down the road? Yeah. Who knows what happens when she goes down that time travel? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a rabbit hole in itself. It really is. Oh, for sure. You know, well, we look at it like um, we do a lot of family history shows. And um, it, that is like the epitome of going through time travel. Oh, yeah. And having to understand what your family was like at a certain time and things that you may not agree with now, but that was the way life was then. Um, it's very interesting. And I think it's a very real um, thing. And then when you start writing memoirs and I know you've written memoir too, it's um, I think that's where the creative fiction comes in. And we, we talk about that even obviously we do so much travel uh, is a huge part of what we do. And, work with a lot of travel writers and it's like, okay, let's take exactly, you know, this is, you know, nonfiction. How do we add that extra element in there to add some creativity in there? So another like creative, non I don't know if I just said creative fiction, but I meant creative nonfiction. Right. <laughs> it just dawned on me. I was like, what did I just say? I think all fiction is supposed to be creative. <laughs> right. But, right. But, but yeah, what you're saying, um, I mean, that's how I made the transition to creative nonfiction fairly easily is that I was writing fiction throughout my twenties. That was often very autobiographical. And when I discovered creative nonfiction and I discovered, you know, this, this genre where you're writing about real stuff, but you're bringing some of the devices of fiction, you're, you're portraying scenes, you're, you're um, recreating dialogue, you're thinking about story structure and like, you know, what are the conflicts I was facing and where did I change and how did I transform? So, so all of those, all the things I knew about fiction, I could transfer to creative nonfiction. And honestly, I think that the stories that I was trying to write just, were more powerful if you knew that they were true. And so, so that's, you know, why I switched to writing creative nonfiction, but I wouldn't say that the techniques I use are really that much different. But it's adding texture. Yeah. You know, yeah. and taste and flavor and, you know what I mean? That, that kind of layered it. Yeah. You, you draw people in with that. And it's, it's, I think it's important for nonfiction unless you're reading a manual, but God, they can, really jack up some manuals and make them fun. I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's right. like, I, I remember getting, we were doing a, te a test tasting product and it had a little, um, you know, a little alcohol in there and they go, it was like a seltzer kind of thing. And they did have one. You're smiling. 
then the, there was like a little smile. Then two is like a big smile. And the third one, they're like, you're upside down or something. It was just something funny inside these notes and packaging. And I think we we're starting to break out of this typical. Yeah. Yeah. Graphic. Yeah. Like here's a graph that you have to read or, you know, how do you put a bookshelf together? We all know the book doing the, like, can we make this more fun? <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, it's all about voice, right? There was a voice in that instruction manual that you were reading and yeah. And one thing I love about creative nonfiction is it's not the kind of dry research writing I was taught in high school. Um, it's, it's about getting your voice at the forefront. And, and it's actually something that helped me make the transition into writing fiction in first person, which I hadn't really tried to do. But once mm-hmm. I had figured out that creative nonfiction voice, my own voice, it was much easier to inhabit characters. Um, I published my first novel a few years ago called following disasters and, and it was first person. And I, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to take on first person. And then this um, vaulting through time is also first person. And I have a forthcoming middle grade novel that is also first person. So. Um, wow. And that, someday I'd like to get back to writing in other points of view too, but, but that really opened me up a lot. Yeah. It gives, well, it gives people, it's kind of an intimate reading experience, you know, when you have that, but I always find dialogue to be that's hard to write dialogue that's that's the hardest part uh-huh. you know yeah it's like and then okay then you have to do all the grammar but that's nothing compared yeah. to oh yeah. yeah 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 we don't we don't care about that stuff it's 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 we the actual meat of the dialogue yeah. yeah yeah dialogue is rough but this is exciting what you've written so before you go any tips for anyone getting started in writing their first young adult novel since you're a teacher yeah. And a writer. <laughs> I think what really trips people up when in, in, in trying to write any book is that it just seems so big. There's so much that has to get done and it can be really overwhelming and cause all sorts of mental blocks. And so I just suggest that people set the clock for 15 minutes and write for that amount of time and then go do something else. See what happens. I tricked myself into writing books because I just basically said, okay, you just have to write for an hour a day. And if it's not going well, then you can just stop and you can go do something else. Um, and what would often happen is I'd feel very resistant for about 45 minutes in the last 15 minutes, it would just take off. And the next thing I knew I'd look up and it had been three hours. So I think you can trick your mind into getting into that place where you can just, just write, mm. but don't try to bite off too much at once you know, do a little bit at a time, do one little story, one little part, one little scene, um, because gradually they accrue, you know, and you have a book. That's awesome. Now, do you write in other locations? Because I know some writers, they'll go like to a coffee place or a library, or they'll even go book a bed and breakfast just to get away from the norm to kind of jolt their brain and just get out of their comfort zone. You know, I because I was a single parent, um, I never really had the option of going to writer's retreats or, you know, Mm. going to coffee shops or, you know, I I was pretty much bound to the house for many years when I wasn't teaching. And so I think I trained myself to be able to write anywhere. So I can write, I mean, I write mostly at home, but if I if there's construction being done on my house, I can go somewhere else and write. Or if I'm traveling, I can usually write. So, so I think you just train your brain to kick in and to do the work. 
Huh, so there it is. That's a lesson. Train your brain from Nancy. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Everybody, the book Vaulting Through Time is out now by Nancy McCabe, and you can go to nancymccabe.net to connect with her and also follow up on other books as well. So looking forward to the next run of books from you. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been fun talking to you. You too. Everyone, of course, also bigblendradio.com. Thank you for listening.